You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Well, everyone, welcome back to the show. We're still in 1 Samuel. We just wrapped up chapter 4, and I think we're getting ready to go into 5. We are getting ready to explore what happens whenever God's ark gets disrespected among the Israelites. Yeah, this is, there's a whole lot to this story that, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of layers and a lot of humor, Mm -hmm. and I'm pretty, I'm excited to, to get into this one, so. It's a side of God I don't think you see often. Well, yeah, I mean, well, how often do you read this story? It's, it, we, because usually we kind of just, we, it's, again, it's one of those we just read past and mm-hmm. we read past these details. We don't, we don't look at the fact that what happens is actually pretty humorous. So it, it yeah, it is. And like you said, there's so many layers because I put together my set of layers and you said you've got a layer that you want to add. And mm-hmm. so I think that we're, we're going to, actually be here maybe for a couple of weeks with the ark and traveling with the philistines really yeah <laughs> like on a few weeks well a couple of weeks like right. with this chapter and the next chapter because it all covers well the okay. same thing yeah. so okay Oops. maybe maybe three i don't know we'll see <laughs> that's a long time but uh, that's more time than i expected to be on this story but there's a lot to it, it. there's always more time than we expect on a story fair enough <laughs> so. except when there's not yeah well <laughs> and then <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry well no but there are some stories it's kind of like okay, there's really no further explanation. The text is pretty clear. There's not a lot to bring into it. There aren't a lot of those stories. Most of the time, the Bible is multi-layered, but occasionally you have that one that's just like, you know, he walked up to Jericho. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, it's, we can't really <laughs> get anything else besides that. So, yeah. yeah so, all right, well, let's, let's go ahead and, uh, okay. so la- last we, last we left, uh, Eli was, he was dead. He was dead. His daughter-in-law was giving birth to his grandson, mm-hmm. and the ark had been taken. So she uh, said, "the the the glory is left. The glory has departed, departed or the glory it's is been exiled." Exactly. Yeah. And I think "exile" really is the best translation there, especially given the Egyptian connections we've had throughout this book, mm-hmm. and even within the story. Because remember, the Philistines when they got ready to go into battle. They recounted the events of the Exodus to each other to rally themselves, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is what the Israelites should have been doing. So verse one, when the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashad. Now, Ebenezer's where the Israelites had camped out. That's uh, chapter four, verse one. Is that a silent D? Ashad? Is, it, is, there, is, there, is there a different translation? Because it's Ashdod in the ESV here. Did I I'm write it wrong down? Uh, Ashdod, you are right. <laughs> so, Dear I, Lord. <sighs> and I'm the one with dyslexia. So. <laughs> Occasionally, you know, my brain runs faster than my hands writing these things down. So, but Ashdod. Well, I just figure for everyone reading along. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Ebenezer was where the Israelites had started out. And Ashdod was a port city. And so it's close to the... To the sea. Which makes sense with the Philistines being there. Exactly, because they're the sea people. Uh, it's a major, major trade center. And the first mention of it that, that we have in the Bible is Joshua eleven twenty two, 
it's one of those cities where the Anakim had survived. Mm -hmm. So major significance there. It's one of the five Philistine cities. Um, these are the main areas where the Philistines live. We've got some great archaeological work on their time there. That would be Iron Age one or two. I think it actually mm -hmm. overlaps both. So this is where they're at. And, it, and we find out in verse two that they take the Ark of the Lord or the Ark of God at this point, they're calling it Elohim, um, brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. So if you remember Dagon, the first time we encountered him was with Samson. So we talk about a lot about his history, who he might have been. If mm -hmm. you want to go more into that, you can go back and listen to that episode. I'm not going to repeat it. He's one of the primary gods of the Philistines, and Samson dies in the Dagon temple. Mm -hmm. And so this is probably sometime after Samson. And now this is a different city. Samson died in the temple of Dagon in Gaza. And mm -hmm. so now we're at a different city. So Gaza may not have had their temple rebuilt by this point. We don't know. Yeah. But that is something to take into consideration. So it's, uh, real quick, I just want to, well, okay, mm -hmm. go, go ahead. Actually, with the narrative. Sorry. I, I think what I have to say might fit better. Later. Okay. So um, the uh, Philistines had acknowledged that the Hebrews had been slaves. And one of their fears mm -hmm. is that they did not want to become slaves. So maybe what Samson did in Gaza had some impact, excuse me, after, for um, actually freeing some of the Hebrews from slavery from the Philistines. Okay. So we see some progress there. Dagon, um, just one little point, was assumed to be a fish god because the Philistines were sea people. Mm -hmm. They were near the, um, near the waters, and it's very close. Dagon is very close to the Hebrew word for fish. Right. But we know that it's probably a Canaanite grain god that they had adopted. Right. So yeah, we, we covered a lot of that in the Samson, or not Samson. Yeah. Yeah, Samson episodes. Sorry. Yeah, I yeah. forgot who I was with for a minute. So, um, like I said, that's all I want to say about his history. But we do know that later Saul's head and his armor are going to be on display at the Temple of Dagon. We find that in First Chronicles 10. 10. Okay. And so taking trophies is very much a part of the Philistine way of doing things. I mean, obviously they took Samson as a trophy. They put him in their temple. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now they're putting the Ark of God in the temple. And then they're going to put Saul's head and his armor in their temple. So they're being very Philistine in this, this act. We, we should expect this from them, basically. Right. Now, despite this, um, some of the rabbis, what they will do is say, oh, well, the Philistines actually put the Ark of the God of our God in the temple of Dagon as a way to honor our God, that they're putting him in a place of honor. Well, I mean, okay. The, the only way I can see that is if they're, is if they're kind of doing like the Roman thing of like, we're just going to adopt these gods and pay and homage. Uh, so, I mean, I can see possibly that, but at the same time, Go on with what you're saying, because well, I assume you're going. No, I mean, this. and that's, you, you brought up a good point there, because when the rabbis were writing this, I mean, this was right after Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Romans. So they're very much under the Roman uh, influence in their way of thinking, or the way they think other foreign nations think about gods. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that, that would really explain why, in their, from their point of view, that would make total sense because I'm going, how do you get there from here? I mean, I, I didn't see it, but when you put that little piece into play, and this is why history 
and not just the history of the Bible, but what's going on in the world around them, mm-hmm. makes sense. So others argue that the Ark was put here so that Yahweh could pay proper homage to, to Dagon as the vanquished god, because remember, wars are not fought by men. No, they're fought by men, but they're really fought between gods. Yeah, well, and that's, that's kind of what I assumed, is that they were, they were putting the Ark there to be like, hey, you were defeated, now here's, here's the new boss yeah. kind of thing. Well, yeah, kind of like bringing in a conquered slave. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, and the, the point here with all of this is that the, the Philistines have taken the Ark. So taking the gods of opposing nations, that, that was just kind of standard practice at this point in time, and it was not the Roman view. It was not that, hey, we're going to include you in our pantheon. We're just going to welcome mm-hmm. you in as part of the family now. It was, they were going to put this vanquished god on display. And we know this because we have Assyrian and Hittite documents that, that reflect this viewpoint. And, you know, taking these gods for them really was a sign that we did win. But verse three, we have an unexpected turn of events. Mm-hmm. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in place. So he's fallen on the ground, face down. This is the proper posture for worshiping at this point in time. Face down, full spread out, sprawled, not on mm-hmm. your knees. Not, there, there's no dignity left in worship here. You, right. you, you flat on your belly. And uh, the Philistines now have to take their God and they have to put him back. Up just as you know, just as they had taken our God and putting him in the, the temple, now they're mm-hmm. taking their God and putting him back where he belongs. And the writer is very specific um, because he uses the terms Dagon and Yahweh. He, he's not using Dagon and Elohim. Right. He wants you to know which two gods are are in this conflict, and you have to confront which God do you think is the the God that should win. Right. So verse eleven. I'm oh, sorry. Verse four. When they rose early in the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left. Now, okay, so okay, I had always heard this taught that it fell over in the hands and head broke off, but it specifically says they were cut, cut off, off and placed in the threshold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just oh, it fell over and they came off yeah yeah no in the, the word there it, it is very specific uh so okay let's work through it in order uh so i don't lose my train of thought but uh they they find dagon worshiping god once again mm-hmm. like you said the hands and the feet are are the hands of the head are are cut off they're not broken off that is specific and this is not an accident this is a deliberate result of the fall like you were saying so Taking the hands and the head of a defeated enemy, that, that's standard wartime practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anoth decorated her body with the heads and the hands of her enemies. So we talked about her in a previous episode. The Philistines take Saul's head. David, you know, of course, he takes Goliath's head. No head means you have no authority. No hands mean you have no power. Mm-hmm. So with only the, the trunk left, Brueggemann says this, that Dagon had been emptied of dignity proper for a god. This is complete humiliation of Dagon by Yahweh. And then, of course, verse 5, this is why the priest of Dagon and all who entered the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashad, 
so to this day. So it's bully Ashdod, sorry, and Ashdod to this day, because I left the out in all of my notes. <laughs> it's believed that this practice was observed well into the time of Christ. So, you know, this had a lasting impact because the worship of Dagon did go past the time of Christ. It, mm-hmm. it survived for a very long time. And doorways in almost every religion, they're significant mm-hmm. because they mark that the dividing line between the sacred and the profane. And a lot of religions will have certain um, rituals that you have to observe when you go into to doorways, whether it's a bow. In Judaism, you got the mezuzah that you, mm-hmm. you touch on, the, on your way in. It's got a copy of uh, the laws in there. And now, instead of celebrating and entering this, with, this place of worship with remembering Dagon and what you have to do to honor Dagon, you're having to remember Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as you enter this house of worship for another god, I mean, it's really, it's an amazing thing that's going on here because God is impacting their theology, whether they want him to or not. And, you know, even though he's not the God being worshipped, he's still a part of their theology. Mm-hmm. So, if you remember in the previous chapter, when we, well, when we met Eli in the first chapter, he's sitting at the door of the temple of mm-hmm. God, of Yahweh. Right. He died when he fell he broke his neck. He, this is a metaphorical decapitation. Right. And specifically, he fell from his chair. Now, when, when the Dagon fell, he fell from his pedestal. Mm-hmm. And it's very much that same idea, that position of honor. What, what lets me know that you're important? It's where you're set. Right. Or where you're sitting. And the Masoretic text uses the word to let you know that this is a, a significant pedestal in there. So they... They had to put Dagon back. Mm-hmm. So if so one... More, more than one person had to pick him up. Exactly. So he is heavy. Mm-hmm. So there is this, this um, element when you put the stories together that's kind of chilling because God is really demonstrating it doesn't matter who you are. You disrespect me, there's going to be consequences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're not obedient, there's going to be consequences. And it doesn't matter whether you're a chosen nation you're one of my priests, you're a foreign God. There are certain behaviors I will not tolerate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things is you don't take God. You don't take God anywhere. God tells you where you're going to go. Right. And so the fact that the Israelites had taken God and the fact that the Philistines had taken God and they, you know, done it by taking the ark, they were, they had to face the consequences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is showing us the Philistines and the Israelites at this point. They're no better. The, Israel, the Israelites lost their priest. Mm-hmm. They're representative of the, the relationship they have with God, the man who facilitated that through sacrifice. And then the Philistines, they lose their, their idol. This is their conduit to their God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, they're very much equal players for each nation. And the fact that God allows the same thing to happen to his priest as he does with what he does to Dagon really drives home that point. Right. Don't get comfortable in your position of authority. It doesn't matter. So I, I thought that was... No, that, that is very interesting. I, I hadn't put that parallel together. I hadn't either. Until... Yeah. Well, I, I mean, most of the stuff, you're not, we're not just guessing with a lot of the stuff. A lot of the stuff you're pulling out of mm-hmm. commentaries and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. 
<laughs> yeah, I, that's the thing. When you when you start again, read the stories, get familiar with the stories, and it's just the repetition that you start picking up on different things. Mm-hmm. You'll start seeing these, and when you read commentators who are good and pull these these similarities out, you really do learn a lot. So, verse six: the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and He terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, it's kind of funny because, okay, this is actually part of how we got to where we decided we wanted to do a podcast, um, because we were talking about the humor in the Bible and how we thought some of it would be fun. And I actually originally suggested uh, us tag teaming like a, a short book series of, of just funny things in the Bible. And, and then Emily's like, why don't we do a podcast? And I'm like, well, I guess. Um, and it's turned out to be a lot of fun. but. Uh, the this story. Okay, so the translation that Emily read reads tumors. Mm-hmm. And one day I was reading it, uh, and I don't know why I my Bible app switched to KJV, and I was reading through it, and in the KJV it says emeralds. And if that sounds like a familiar English <laughs> word, the JPS actually has hemorrhoids yeah. in it. Um, and so I'm like, that's kind of funny actually <laughs> i mean well, this is it's... now and it may and now now the it from what i understand the word can be translated as like tumors like sores more mm-hmm. visible on the skin but i do find it funny that specifically in the jps and in the k the kjv it was it was hemorrhoids well and it's one of those things there's a lot of debate and we're going to talk about what that debate is but Whatever it was, there is something very shameful about this disease. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, you know, oh, I have a cold or I have boils. I mean, there is something that causes deep humiliation with this disease. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and here's something too. Okay. And I'm just, I'm going to throw out my connection here because we can kind (laughs) of, I think this is a good place to to throw it out. Um, So... You know, we talked about the the crucifixion idea that there's mm-hmm. that uh, that feeling of abandonment that their hope is lost mm-hmm. uh, when the ark goes away, right? Right. So there's a few things here, and I actually thought I realized another thing when you're talking about the Samson tie-in. So this this is something that just occurred to me is that you know God said to Samuel, "I'm doing a new thing here," mm-hmm. and so. What happens is you had a judge go in and destroy one temple of Dagon, and now Yahweh's going in and destroying the idol himself. Oh, yeah. And that's a pretty powerful move yeah. there. Um, so that that just occurred to me as another connection, another parallel to what's mm-hmm. going on with, with Samson and how God's doing things differently. Now, the the, the I, I looked this up, and I, so... When you look at what goes on here, what's he doing? It's the it's the the false god mm-hmm. judgment on the false god, right? Right. And judgment on who? On Dagon. The, Dagon. Well, and and then he strikes the Philistines with okay with boils. So it's judgment and humiliation on who? The Philistines. And who's associated with the Philistines? But the Anakim and the Rephaim. and the yes. <laughs> so you have. Jesus, <laughs> the crucifixion, everyone thinks it's that hope's lost. Right. What's he actually doing? Because remember, remember, I was telling you about the in, the NT Wright video where he talks about 
they paraded Jesus through as though he were a defeated prisoner, but he was actually leading them to their own destruction and humiliation. Yes. And so, and then you have Paul saying in, in Colossians, uh, what is it, 2 verse 15, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame, triumphing over them. And how did he do it in what seemed like a defeat? And how does God do this? He does it in what seems like a defeat. defeat. And so I'm just like, the, the connection there is, is just mind-blowing. The gospel's always been available. I mean, in some form or fashion, the gospel has always been available, and it's been played out in ways that people can understand and see. Yeah. Because I can't imagine if any of these Philistines had seen this and went, you know what? He, he destroyed Dagon. Mm -hmm. I'm going to follow this God. Yeah. You know, what would have been God's response to that? I mean, we've already seen what it would be with Ruth and with um, Rahab and with Caleb mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so in Othniel. So we, we know that when anybody turned away from their God and accepted the God of Israel, God accepted them. Yeah. And, and so, and so, you know, and at the cross, Jesus exercises uh, judgment on the rulers, the, the false gods. And the demonic influences, which would have been the disembodied <laughs> Rephaim, uh, you know, uh, it's yeah, it makes sense if you tie that all together. Yeah, I hadn't taken it that far because I, I mean, I see exactly where you're going with that and what you're saying with that because it is true. And one of the things I think we forget is that this is not you know Jesus didn't just show up and you know break off and do something that's completely unrelated to anything that's gone before, right? He's always been a part of this history, and I think that we need to be seeing that when we read through the Old Testament and looking for him when we, and, and not as in types, other people who are um, showing up and, and being foreshadowing, uh, but actually looking and, and, for and there's, him. There's some of that. There is. And, and, and you know, and, and I think this story is a great example of it, mm -hmm. uh, of seeing how this all plays out. But I, I, when I say it here, I think the difference, like, I'm not seeing David as a type of of God or a type of Jesus in the New Testament. I'm seeing God be God, mm -hmm. both yeah. here in the Old Testament and in the New Testament in Jesus. And to, those are the ones that I really like because I don't have to. I don't have to worry about going too far with the analogy. I don't right. have to. Right. You know, God is God, and I can celebrate that. So, but yeah, no, I think that's a really good point, and I, I'm going to bring in where I tied in some of that when I get to the point where yeah, yeah. So so just. I, I thought that was kind of a good middle point where we've seen some of the humiliation and, mm -hmm. and judgment start in here, but going forward, we can kind of overlay yeah. this idea and, and put it all together. Well, because I, yeah, because I bring it in a different way, but it, it just shows you how the Bible, it is multifaceted. Mm -hmm. And this is the reason why you need to study in groups and you need to study with people who are equally committed to, to learning because what one person sees isn't going to be what another person sees. Right. Or, you know, maybe they see the same thing, but they see it from two different angles and you get that different perspective. And every time you learn a new perspective, as long as you're still, you know, going back to the Bible, you're still looking towards God, you're, you're making your knowledge that much better. And you're getting a depth there that you don't get otherwise. So, um, so going to get back to the text and we know the, the hand of the Lord was heavy against the Philistines. Now, um, First time we hear this phrase is in the hand of the Lord is Exodus 9.3. And it's when God sends the plagues against the livestock in Egypt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the, the hand language, it's very common in the Akkadian. 
And um, their phrase for being afflicted literally was the hand was heavy. Mm-hmm. And conversely, whenever, you know, affliction was lifted, it was his, his, he will lift his hand. So there's this idea that, that whenever you're oppressed, a, a God in the Akkadian, or in our case, the God, will, you know, lay his hand on you and, it, and it's heavy. It's kavod. And we're back to that connection there. And there's also Assyrian references to it. But affliction, when we start talking about that, now we're back with Hannah's prayer. When we're, rem- we're remembering that, we're remembering the, the, mm-hmm. the burning bush. And it was reminding us all of this is supposed to be viewed through the, eye, through the lens of Exodus. Mm-hmm. So the writer's being really good at pulling these, these things back to our remembrance. And so I realized, hold on one second. You skip a note there? I think I did. Oh, I did. And it's important okay. because um, it's just one line, but I, I realized I missed it. God, the, God's hand is heavy against the Philistines, but Dagon has no hands. So the writers really just kind of twist in that knife mm-hmm. that this is the problem that's going on here. So... Um, one of the things that the Philistines do know is that Egypt had been afflicted with plagues, mm-hmm. specifically with tumors. As you said, in the KJV, it's emeralds. Uh, after, uh, it's often translated as hemorrhoids. It literally means little mountains or hills, mm-hmm. and it has been used for tumors in, in other situations. Right. So Samuel Driver, and this is the guy who wrote the BDB, the Brown Driver Briggs. Okay. Um, yeah. This is so our... No slouch. Yeah. He's the, that's the uh, lexicon every person who studies Hebrew is going to be told they mm-hmm. need to buy. Mm-hmm. He says that this is a euphemism because the disease is so terrible that its real name should not be spoken. So, yeah. Huh. Now, another alternative view of that is not necessarily that the disease is so terrible it shouldn't be spoken. But the, the body part it afflicts should not be spoken in proper company. Okay. So possible diseases, there's, there's three, basically. Anal tumors or hemorrhoids. Don't say that again. <laughs> you don't want that on a prayer list? I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is... So right, carry on. Dysentery, which uh, this was not an uncommon ailment at that point in time. Right. The bubonic plague. Okay. So the bubonic plague actually makes some sense because this is a port city, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And when you have port cities, you always have this one little critter that shows up, rats. Right. Well, <laughs> and, and it doesn't say it specifically here, mm-hmm. but it does say that they were afflicted with mice. Yes. Uh, later on. Yes. And that, that's the other thing that ties it in. Now, there's a... The, the theory is, and again, we're, we're having to speculate, so I'm offering some speculation just to kind of let people play with this. The theory is, is that the writer doesn't bring up the rats or the mice until later because he doesn't want there to be any mistake in your mind that this is an act of God. Mm-hmm. So we can't blame it on observable natural causes. We, we have to attribute it to God. And so by waiting until we get to that point where the mice are offered up, then we are still looking at God and then the mice kind of come in and go, Oh, well that might've been the mechanism. Right. So that, that's one idea, but you're going to love this. So the rabbis were not content to leave this alone. Of course not. <laughs> I mean, 
Who would be? <laughs> they it, it started a podcast. Right. <laughs> no, um they they said this is in the Talmud, guys. Don't don't beat me. So they said that when the Philistines um were relieving themselves, that the mice would crawl into their bodies and eat their intestines and pull out their bowels. Well. Yeah. And that's why why they say the mice came into the picture, that it wasn't just the disease, that the mice were literally attacking these guys from the inside out. So, yeah. You just got to (laughs) wonder. I mean, we, you know, it's like, this is, this is not some fun experience. Let's say that we have enough illustrations to show that this is something that's causing a great deal of uh, a lot of distress. There we go. There we go. (laughs) Distressed is good. So now the rabbis also say that the Philistines deserved this kind of over the top horrific punishment because they had mocked God before Mm. the battle and that they had said that God had used up his plagues in Egypt. And so he didn't have anything else to come at them with. And this is the reason why they were so brave. It was that they, they didn't see the... the um, Ark is a threat. Yeah. It's like, okay, he's done all he can do. He's got no more power left. And so we can go attack because we know that he's depleted all of his energy in Egypt. Okay. So this, the thing is, this is a disease of Egypt. This specifically is something that happened... Uh, dis- Deuteronomy 28, 27 says the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with the tumors, and that's that emerald, mm-hmm. the tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed. So one of the promises that the children of Israel are given is if you obey me, if you honor me, if you worship me and don't worship other gods, you won't get this. Right. But if you do, now you know, you're fair game. And the, mm-hmm. the Philistines, by taking the Ark of God, and, you know, this is the center of worship for Israel. Now they're subject to the same rules as Israel. Right. Now, I, I think there's something there. I think there, there's a lesson in that. Don't take the things of Christianity if you aren't going to be a Christian. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you say you're a Christian. Maybe don't take God's name in vain. Precisely. Precisely. And because I think that's really kind of what's happening here on one level. And I don't think we often realize that. The, the idea of putting another god in their temple, the natural progress would have been somebody would have started praying to the, to the ark. Mm-hmm. Somebody would have said, hey, well, you know, it's here and it's with Dagon. And so I'm going to offer my prayers to Dagon and, uh, you know, put my food offering or whatever before him. And I'm going to leave a cookie over here to this lonely god. Right. You know, and, and something good is going to happen that day. So, hey, I'm going to go back tomorrow and give him three cookies. You know, and it's, it's going to be that kind of progression. That's what happened. And yeah. so there, there is this element the Philistines were trying to humiliate God. I, I don't doubt that. But at the same time, just given human nature and the way that we, we begin to incorporate in other methods and ways of, of worship, every chance we're given. Right, right. The people would have started moving that direction, and then they would have said, hey, we're worshipers of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And if you're a worshiper of Yahweh, you need to adhere to the standard God has set before them which was Deuteronomy, which is if you're worshiping other gods, you're going to get this disease. Mm-hmm. So now the Philistines, by taking the ark, have made themselves liable for, for this disease. Yep. 
So, okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Anyhow, yeah. I mean, well, and some of the, you know, some of the stuff, if you just stop and look at how people operate mm-hmm. and, and stop just reading the words on the pages, but actually look at how the people, what, you know, what were they doing behind the words? Mm-hmm. So, anyway, verse seven, when the men of Ashdod saw how many, how many things were, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. So they recognize what, what's, in, you know, what's going on here. And it's interesting that this is a reversal from Pharaoh. You know, they didn't, they didn't harden their hearts. They, they said, we got to get him out of here. Actually, yeah, I found that really interesting. They're like, let's not make the same mistake the Egyptians did. That's exactly what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, it, they they understand if we continue on this path, we're going to be just like the Egyptians, and it takes one plague, mm-hmm. you know, to get their attention. They don't need ten. <laughs> so, um, well, I mean, and that just kind of goes to to prove that what God did, it, it paved the way for this to happen, and, and right? So and so he doesn't have to be as drastic. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so when people, you know, they talk about, oh, all the cruelty in the Bible, everything that we're through the Bible, what we see is this progressively getting less and less cruel. We see what we perceive in, in the, the, our modern minds as being horrible and mean. It, we're moving away from that. And, but when you look at the Bible, the, the things that bring on these kinds of judgments, these quote unquote acts of cruelty, they're caused by human choice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're caused by human action. And then you bring in the divine council worldview, and, and then we bring in that side of things. But so often it's because people have chosen. The Philistines attacked the Israelites, mm-hmm. and they had been trying to take over their land. They'd made them slaves. Of course God's going to push back with them. God was so rough on Egypt because they had enslaved his people. Of course he's going to attack them. Mm-hmm. And it only got as bad as it did because Pharaoh had decided that he was not going to obey God. Mm-hmm. And yes, God hardened his heart, but that was after Pharaoh had already made his intentions known. Mm-hmm. And God said, we're just, we're going to roll with that. If that's way, the way you want to do it, that's how we'll do it. And so often we find in the scripture, when somebody says, this is how we're going to do it, God says, okay, have it your way. Right. And so we're going to talk about that with Saul. But notice that this is the third morning that they have come in and found that Dagon, uh, that uh, with the the Dagon thing, the third morning that they're going to release him from the the house of Sheol. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, the house of uh, Dagon. Dagon. Yeah, yeah. God can't be contained in the house of Dagon, and I think it's very interesting that it's the third morning because when you get the third morning, now we're thinking about the crucifixion. We're thinking about the resurrection. Jesus cannot be contained in the home of death, mm-hmm. and so. I, I, I love that because this is, you know, God's reemergence into the world. And it, it's not just, oh, well, we're just going to put him out with the garbage. No, the, there, there's a very specific way in which he's going to return to his country. Mm-hmm. And so, and when it's not done right, there's problems there. But anyway, verse eight. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, what shall we do with the Ark of the Covenant, with the Ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, let the, ark of God of, let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. Now, the lords, uh, this is the elders. This is the leading class. So mm-hmm. we're reminded what happened at Shiloh. They talked to the elders. 
Mm-hmm. What should we do? Well, we're going to take the ark. Okay, so now in both cities, we've got this going on this, that <laughs> you don't don't go to the elders when you've got a prophet in the land, and mm-hmm. you kind of have to wonder. I mean, as enmeshed as the Philistines and the Israelites are at this point in time, did they know about Samuel? Right. Could could they have gone? Hey, we we need some help here. I, I mean, this is a possibility because. We're going to find out that there's several Israelites still living among the Philistines at this point in time. Mm-hmm. So they make the decision to move the Ark to Gath. And now Gath is famous, most famous for being the home of Goliath. Yeah. And it might be that they're moving Gath away from the ocean, away from the sea, thinking maybe if we get him away from the port city where there's all these mice and rats, which cause the plagues then we can see that this really isn't the God of Israel doing this. Mm-hmm. It just happened at the same time. So Gath, when the ark shows up, I mean, they just break into panic. <laughs> I mean, tumors break out and they decide we're done and they send the ark to Ekron. Mm-hmm. So R.P. Corden describes this as the reverse victory tour. So where you were talking about the victory tour earlier, and parading mm-hmm. now now <laughs> this funny. is yeah it, it, it's the idea that as god moves through their city he instead of being you know the conquered god that the, that the the other gods get to be praised for their their victory or dagon specifically this is god that's the conquered god coming in and just systematically destroying all the gods who are who are there now i'm not saying this is the same manifestation of knocking over the the idol, the temple, but yeah. He's, but he's spreading disease. He and, is, and the people's gods are not able to protect them from Yahweh. Well, and it makes you wonder: were they were they brave enough to put him in the nether temple of Dagon, and the other cities? Or they're like, no, we're we're gonna you know put him over here in the cow shed. I mean, what what's going on here? We don't we don't really know. So the people of Ekron they they send for the lords of the Philistines, and they want the ark sent away, and they specifically want it returned to its place. Mm-hmm. And that, that word there is Macomb. And if you remember... The place. The place, yes. The place God shows you. The place that God says, I will be manifest here and nowhere else. We talked a lot about that with the Abraham and Isaac. So if you want to go mm-hmm. back to that. Um, again, the hand of God was heavy. And Dagon still doesn't have any hands. And the, the idea that, of the Macomb is, I, I should point out, is very central to Judaism. And we need to remember over and over again in, in Scripture, God is very specific about, this is where I'm going to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to show up where you want me to be. I'm going to be where I want to be. You don't get to move me. Again, I think that's another really good teaching point, because so often today I see people, well, you know, I like this, this, and this about Christianity, and so I'm going to worship God my own way. Mm-hmm. And even though it's not a physical move, in some ways, it's oh, yeah. kind of like moving God. You don't do that. Right. And no, that makes sense. So, but the good news is that the Philistine theology, it's improving. It's <laughs> you know? getting better all the time. But is it though? Well, you know, at least they're able to say God needs to be where he wants to be. The Israelites, it's going to take them a longer time to figure this out. As a matter yeah. of fact, it's not really going to be until David that and David's going to learn the hard way mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. God is going to be where he wants to be and you, you don't get to move him. <laughs> and so, but um, verse 12 the men who did not die were struck by tumors 
and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Now, again, we got the reversal. The Philistines are crying out like the slaves of Egypt. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are being afflicted. They aren't crying out like, you know, and the cries go up to heaven. Um, so originally the Israelites were acting like the Philistines when we started the story. And by the end of it, the Philistines are acting like the Israelites. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's fascinating that you have this, this, this whole change up and, and the change up comes because God showed up. Yeah. You know, they, they still don't get it right completely, but they are, um, they're getting closer. And I just feel like my notes were a little short there. So, okay, we're going, I'm going to go ahead and jump into chapter six because it's still the same story. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we know that the ark was there for seven months. We find that in verse one of chapter six. And um, seven is a symbolic number. You know, y'all, we all know this. Mm-hmm. It's completeness. It's perfection. It, it's consummation. And so you have to ask yourself, what's complete? Right. Was it God's time in exile was complete or the, the Philistines time of suffering was complete? You know, either way, God decides it's, it, it's time for a change. And, you know, it sound, the, the, the problem with sending an ark back or any god back is basically you're saying, oh, yeah, we thought we had defeated the god, but we really can't control him, so we got to send him home. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the ransom of Red Chief. Right, and right. so I was trying to think of that name. Yeah, the name of that. Where, yeah, they, they took, took someone captive and they were in so much trouble. They were <laughs> trying... Trying to get them to take him back. Yeah, the parents, the parents were like, no, we aren't paying. And the, the kidnappers were like, no, we'll pay you. <laughs> just, <laughs> just take your kid back. So anyway, uh, but this is connected to Genesis uh, 22, 21 verses 22 through 24. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the story is Abraham shown up at Abimelech's house. Abimelech is the king of the Philistines. And he shows up at Abimelech's house. And Abimelech sees Sarah, his mm-hmm, wife, who's mm-hmm. so beautiful. And of course, what does Sarah tell him? And what does Abraham tell him? I'm your sister. And so there's a, a problem. I'm sorry. Well, this has happened before the Genesis count. I'm going into, but you know, they Abraham and Abimelech kind of form their bond right. with with that story. Mm-hmm. But um, the the passage in Genesis 21 through 22 through 34, Abraham and Abimelech have this dispute over a well. And the wells at Beersheba, which this is actually where Eli's sons, or Samuel's sons were, sorry. And Abraham, instead of, you know, fighting with Abimelech and trying to make some kind of stand and saying, look, you're doing wrong by me, he sends Abimelech seven sheep. Okay. And this is a covenant ceremony. He, he made a, a covenant with Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And... Abimelech at that point says, you know, I'll go back to the land of the Philistines. It's all cool. We're, we're, we're okay now. Now, Abraham stays at Beersheba and he, he thinks he's going to live there for a while. He actually, he plants a tree. Mm-hmm. And so you don't plant a tree if you're getting ready to walk up and leave. I right. mean, we've had whole conversations about that lately. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing is, was Abraham right to make this covenant? That, that's the question. Now, remember, this is before the Exodus. This is before we get the Torah, we, we get the commands not to make a covenant with the people in Canaan. So mm-hmm. Abraham doesn't have that. But the, the tradition is, and again, this is tradition, not Bible. 
make that very clear, mm -hmm. was because he sent Abimelech seven sheep, the ark would be exiled in the land of the Philistines for seven months. And, and what this does, is it true? Probably not. I mean, this is, this is not kind of the, the... Yeah, this is just some random tradition trying to fill right. in gaps. Yeah, this is, you know, it's an, a Jewish folklore. And, and it allows people to make sense of the ark being taken. Because mm -hmm. it's so unthinkable that the ark would be, be taken by the Philistines when we know how bad the Philistines are. And that they're doing it for two, for two reasons, not just to make sense of how it's taken, but also to, to show that God really has been in control of this since the beginning of time. That, that there's no time stamp on, on God's ability to control things. And I think from that point of view, it's kind of like, okay, you know, that's fine. You got your tradition. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, we don't want to add too much to the story. But this is, these are the ways that sometimes we, we try to understand things we can't. Right. And so we, we need to be careful. But sometimes it's also just kind of fun to look at these things and go, oh, okay. This is what people were thinking. So verse 2, the Philistines called for the priest and the diviners, and they said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us what shall we send it to its place? So weird wording there with the ESV. But priests and diviners, we're, we're, we finally were moving back from the we're, Lord's. Right. We're moving to the spiritual leadership. Mm -hmm. And we're asking them, what should we do? Now, contrast that with Israel, who didn't talk to Samuel. Right. Like I said, the Philistines, their theology is getting better throughout all of this. So, but this also connects us back to Exodus 7-11 with Pharaoh's magicians. Remember, they're not counterfeits. and. I think so often we dismiss spiritual, you know, uh, what, what does it say, um, priests and diviners. Mm -hmm. we, we dismiss them as counterfeit powers or leaders. Mm -hmm. The Bible never says they're counterfeit. As a matter of fact, it talks about how effective they can be. I mean, Pharaoh's magicians, they can do everything Moses can, and Aaron could do mm -hmm. and up to the third plague, and that was the gnats. Right. Once we get to the gnats, they can't do anything. By the time we get to the boils, which could have some connection with right. this, they can't even stand before Moses and Aaron. And so this means that when I say everything, I mean, they're turning staffs into serpents, water to blood. They're making frogs emerge from the, from the Nile. So they have some ability. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we, we just want to act like they don't have any ability. And that's just, it's not true. Right. Well, it, it, it helps us feel at ease, helps us feel like that, you know, because we, we want to talk about, you know, there's that this idea that Satan has no power or the, the adversary mm -hmm. has no power. Mm -hmm. And I think that is kind of a hyperbolic statement. There's not that there's no power. It's just against God. There is, you know, in the, his authority, there's nothing that's can, that can stand against that. Yeah. Well, so, it's like, yeah. Uh, and we can do that with a, a, a human God relationship too. You know, we have power as human beings up against God's. It is nothing. It's right. that comparison model. Mm -hmm. So yes. And, and the thing is, if you're a human being and you're talking about a spiritual entity, then they have the ability to do things that we're not capable of. And that seems like power. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what we have to be aware of when we start talking spiritual warfare. Yes, there is power in the dark and the foreign gods and the pagan gods. And, and, and don't take it lightly. Are we supposed to be afraid of it? Absolutely not. Right. But 
don't don't be just dismissive because you don't want to go there. But the term diviner actually uh, takes us back to Balaam. Mm -hmm. And we got to remember his blessings and curses. He refused to curse Israel. He winds up blessing Israel. And this is numbers 22. I think I didn't write down, but they are, they're true. They, they, they happen. They are one of the part, oldest parts of the Bible and his, his prophecies are correct. Mm -hmm. And so he's not in service to, to God. Matter of fact, um, there's some really harsh things said about him in Revelations, and he, he is put to death for the things that he does. Mm -hmm. So again, don't, don't be dismissive. But anyway, um, basically, what, with what shall we send it to its place? That, that last line of that verse <laughs> basically is, how do we get rid of this thing? Right. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't want it here. So the priest and the diviners, they said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it away empty, but by all means return it to him with a, with a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. So a guilt, off, a guilt offering, mm -hmm. same words we find in Leviticus 5, mm -hmm. uh, specifically verse 14. If anyone commits a breach of faith and his sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, you offer up a guilt offering. Right. So. How intentional, unintentional was this? I mean, hmm. yet, in some ways it is unintentional because they don't understand what they're dealing with. Yeah. Who and, they're dealing with. And in other ways, it's very intentional because Dagon is their God. And as their God, he, he is the one who needs to be honored and he's the one who's going to win. And then now they're, they're being shown that everything they'd assumed about Dagon really wasn't true. Right. Now, imagine us being in that position. I mean, can, can you imagine finding out that everything you've thought about the Bible being and who God is as a person isn't true? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Don't, don't get me wrong. Right. But yeah, you, you thing you've had your faith in is, is, is uprooted, supplanted. All that business. Well, and in that point in time, I mean, faith really was the center of your world. It wasn't something you just did on Sunday morning. And so this isn't just an ideology that's being overthrown. This is your whole way of life that's being overthrown. So we do have these connections to, to Exodus. And one of the connections is that the Israelites leave with the Egyptians' gold. That's Exodus 11, 2, and 3. And it also connects us right back to Abraham and Sarah with Abimelech, mm -hmm. because Abimelech says, you know, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver so that it to be a covering for his eyes. And so the, the people ask, what should they send? And the diviners come up with this answer. Five golden tumors. Mm -hmm. I, okay. All I can think of it no. is, it is the, the, the chocolate face is going around. It's like, who wants that? Who, who wants a mold of five? golden anal tumors right this is not if if i can find a, a parallel in today's society that that upsets me and makes me feel icky can you imagine how much a holy god feels icky at the idea he's like no this is insulting so yeah so yeah there's one and it's like do they make five of the same one do they have everyone have to get their own i mean because it says it's 
to represent the five rulers. So every lord of the Philistines is having a mold cast. I, and so I don't want to spend any more time on this really than we have to, but that's just... That's how ridiculous it is, though. One of the questions I have. And then, and then five golden mice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. And so, you know, they, they, they're showing that they all have the same plague. All five cities are dealing with the same things because they're sending the same golden objects. Right. And so these are not payments. What you have to remember is when you create a likeness of something and you send it away, you're basically sending, you're using sympathetic magic. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that with Jacob. So, so if this isn't just an offering. This is, we're putting all of the evil or trying to put all of the evil that's been inflicted on us into this gold. And we're mm-hmm. going to send it back to God. This is very reminiscent of the Azazel ceremony that we're the, where they. Well, put, I actually thought of that earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The scapegoat thing. That, yeah. We're going to put all of the sins of the nation in the wilderness and we're going to send it back out to, uh, no, sorry, all the sins of the nation on the goat and send the goat into the wilderness because that's where sin lives. Mm-hmm. And, that, and so these, these plagues were sent by God. So we're going to send them back to God. Right. And so this is our first mention of the mice. We hadn't heard of them before. We talked about why that is. And we learned that not only are the mice, you know, a problem, uh, as the rabbis said, they might have been. This is, uh, they've been ravaging the land. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah. and, and I actually, you know, and I think it, it's appropriate because what do mice do? They eat your grain. Mm-hmm. And if Dagon's <laughs> a grain god, then yes. that's going to be a problem. And, and where, what do we find in Egypt? So often those plagues are, are, are just against a, the representation of so many gods mm-hmm. in there. So I think it's, you know, that's a really good point. I didn't bring that out. So, we uh, also in verse five, they want to get, we find they want to give glory. They want to give kavod to the God of Israel mm-hmm. and perhaps he will lighten his hand from off of you and your gods and your lands. So kavod, they want to give heaviness so that maybe God will lighten. So you, you have that, that contrast mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And it, it's, it's very deliberately that, that play on words and Here's the thing. The Israelites had not given glory to God. They had tried to use God. So God's in the land of the Philistines, and they're trying to give glory to God there. Mm-hmm. And it, it, this is messed up. It's not something that, that should be happening. And it's, it's flipping theology on its head over and over again. I mean, you can just, mm-hmm. you just see this, just this, like a, you know, a load in the, in the dryer just tumbling around. <laughs> so, you know, because a God in exile is a powerless God, and Yahweh has showed himself to be powerful in the land of the Philistines. Mm-hmm. This is not what anybody expected. This is why the Israelites are back home crying their eyes out, you know, having babies dying, saying, Ikavod, Ikavod, the glorious in exile. This is, this is the problem because we forget that the, the Ark of the Covenant, again, not just a pretty box. This is the symbol of their freedom. This is a symbol of their unity as a nation. This is a symbol of how God is going to manifest himself among the people. And so to lose that, to lose the, the one thing that has united you for generations now, mm-hmm. this, I mean, think about how we as a nation felt when the Twin Towers were gone. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, it wasn't, and a lot of us didn't have any real connection to the Twin Towers until after the event. Right. And so this is, 
more than that to them. And Mm -hmm. that's, you know, just one way for us to attempt to try to contextualize it so that we can understand what they might have been going through. So we can get some more on this. And, you know, I've still got several pages on this chapter. Yeah. And we'll be able to dive some dive into it a little deeper because once we get through it, there's actually some things I want to go back and pick out that um, you just didn't want to disrupt the narrative with. Okay, so but yeah, that seems like a decent place to pause with the getting ready to send the the arc <laughs> back, and 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 the story ends in a very unexpected way, right? Um, that I read through it again, and I was like, and I, for, I had actually forgotten how it ended, mm-hmm. and I was I was actually surprised. I was like, I don't remember that, and that's going to be something we're going to have to. I really want to find out what's up with that because that is crazy. I so. I think I have an answer for why it ends the way it does. Okay. I really do. So, um, all right, I, well, we'll be looking for that. Um, probably on the next episode, maybe, uh, maybe <laughs> we'll see depends on how much we get through. So, well, cool. We're going to pause there. And, um, if you want to be part of the conversation, um, if you have questions and concerns about the story, <laughs> um, feel free to hit us up on ravencreeksc.com or facebook.com slash ravencreeksc or on all the social media, really. Um, if you really like what you heard, want to help keep us going, um, pay hosting fees and all that business, uh, patreon.com slash ravencreeksc is a great way to get yourself a mug. Uh, t-shirt. Or a t-shirt. Or, uh, or you can just hit up the Raven Creek shop if you'd rather just uh, purchase one. Uh, anyway, other than that, um, that's all the self-promotion <laughs> going to do there um other than that uh you know share this with a friend i guess well i guess i'm not done with the promotion but <laughs> share this with a friend if you like it um or don't or just share it but anyway we'll Sharing's be back. good we'll be back next week <laughs> have a good one bye. bye you've been listening to the faith and other oddities podcast a raven creek social club production don't forget to follow us on facebook twitter and instagram If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.